Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the BIH Show. The weather's lovely, we're being treated to various different sporting events, but bubbling away in the background, ice hockey continues to prepare for its majestic return. Signings are happening, preparations are building nicely, and for players, opportunities knock. On this week's show, we talk to the man who's helped Liam Kirk on his way to an entry-level NHL contract. We hear from a player who tells us what Ben Bounds can look forward to in Slovakia. We also mark 10 years since five flyers joined the Elite League and we reveal who's going to win this year's Stanley Cup, sort of. You're listening to the BIH Show. I'm Craig Anderson and welcome to the show. Summer's here, we're enjoying the weather while we can, but don't think for a minute we've been resting on our laurels. I will tell you that while we prepare for the new season, we will be going fortnightly in the next few weeks as we build up to the new season. So just to warn you ahead of that. Anyway, while we're here, I may as well tell you what's coming up this week. And we've seen two of our crown jewels seal the next moves in their career after recent impressive displays. Netminder Ben Bounds is off into Europe again, where he's joined Slovakian side Dukla Trenchan. And later, you'll hear from former Guildford Flame Cruz Reddick, who tells us what Bounds he can expect in that part of the world. For Liam Kirk, though, we're glad to say he won't be coming back to the Elite League next season, and that's definitely no slight on our top flight, of course. It's more a reflection of how far we want him to succeed. Arizona Coyotes, the team who drafted him to the NHL three years ago, have given him an entry-level contract, and it's a huge step for him. Since then, it looks as though he's off to Tucson Roadrunners in the AHL to give him a shot at the next step that will hopefully see him grace the ice 
of the big show. You'll recall we spoke to Coyote's Director of Player Development, Mark Bell, about Kirk in the future, as he impressed the World Championships in Riga recently. But now we'll talk to the man with whom he spent two seasons with at Peterborough Peets in the OHL and saw his development close hand, and he's someone familiar with the Elite League. Rob Wilson is a former Newcastle Vipers coach and an ex-player with Swindon Wildcats, Telford Tigers, Sheffield Steelers and Manchester Storm, and he's the man in charge at the Peets, so he spoke to us on the BIH show about Liam's progress. But firstly, I wanted to know how proud he is of Kirk and the progress he's made. Uh, we know that, but for the last two years, he's, he's really worked hard and he's really wanted the opportunity. Um, and I'm really proud of him. Yeah, we, we, we all are in Peterborough. He's been, um, he's been a great kid, great to work with. He came over, you know, it, when we all go over to say Europe, whether, you know, whether it's England, whether it's, you know, whether, you know, you're coming to play in the elite league or whatever, or you're going to Italy or Germany or Switzerland or whatever work by then we're usually by then we're seasoned pros most of us only come over and you're not a teenager you're in your 20s and sometimes you might be as old as late 20s or, or 30s and he came over uh, you know to leave his country to come over and in a very uh, difficult environment because you know this is dog eat dog this is um, you know the OHL is the best league in the world uh, for the age group of these kids and and uh, he had to come in here, and it's not easy. And those dressing rooms aren't easy when you first come in either, you know. And, and he had a lot to contend with. Um, and he felt, you know, maybe if you're from a different um, nation, uh, you know, a different sporting nation, Liam also was, the, you know, the first kid really to, to do this. And, and um, you know, uh, or he felt like he was the, the first one. And, when you come from Russia, maybe or Czech Republic or, you know, other Finland, other hockey countries, again, it's, you know, it's a little bit different. And uh, he came over and, and he really, he really wanted to do well. And he, um, he took it upon himself to get better every day. And it wasn't easy. There were some tough times that first few months. I'm sure Liam would tell you the first few months were not easy. And, and I'm not always the easiest guy to, to work with either at times. I can be difficult at times. So, and I know that. But I, uh, I think Liam knew very early that I really wanted it for him. And I think that, uh, you know, everybody in Peterborough was rooting for him right from the very start. So we're really proud of him. Now, I'm mindful of the fact that you had a team full of talented youngsters there that, that were all looking for the same thing. They're all looking for that big step up to the, the NHL. But did, any, did his potential in any way stand out compared to the other guys you were working with? Oh, they're all so good. I mean, we had uh, Liam played with a young guy named Nick Robertson who broke into the NHL at 19, and, uh, or at 18, sorry, in the, in the playoffs for Toronto uh, a year and a half ago. And, you know, so these, these are so many kids here that have so much talent and, you know, Nick's American. And then his centerman was, was SDA, which, you know, he's a, he's a younger Russian player. And, and uh, you know, there's so many talented players that are here. It's not just the Canadian kids. And, and um, Liam had a lot to, a lot to deal with. But his, his, his skill level showed early. Like, you know, he's got very good hands. He's a good skater. He can shoot the puck. So there's lots of things that Liam can do. Uh, I think what, you know, Liam had to find a way to separate himself from other people. And, and, uh, but he came in with the right attitude and he did the right things. And, and, um, 
it was actually a pleasure to coach. We all we all talked about it. All of us really enjoyed working with him. And never a day of a, you know was he a hassle or, or um, never a day was he complained about. You know, it's pretty grueling for these guys. It's not that easy. It's it's uh, you know like it's mandatory. You're at the gym every day. Mandatory. You know, you're gonna have one or two practices every day. You know, we have road trips. We went on. You know, a very, uh, uh, I think it was 11 day road trip last year to or the year before to start the year. And, you know, you're not, you know, not only away from home, then you get used to being at your billets and now you're on the road for 11 days. Like it's a, it's a totally different um, ball game over here for, for what they're used to dealing with. And he had to find his feet and then he had to find a way to stand out. And I think he did that. Was he someone that, given your own experience of the UK, you, you knew the you knew the country, you knew the league over here? Did you feel like you had to take him under your wing a little bit and, and help him in those early days? Well, you know, I, I made it. I don't make it any secret. I consider myself British. My whole family's British. Um, you know, I'm uh, very proud. My dad was in the RAF, and and uh, so I'm, I, you know, I'm very much queen and country, and, and that's just the way I am, and. Uh, so, you know, when, um, when, uh, when Liam came over, I, I definitely wanted, I really wanted him to succeed. There's no doubt about that. I, you know, uh, I didn't treat him any differently, uh, but I really wanted him to have success. You know, obviously him playing and me playing for the Steelers for a long time, you know, he could talk to people and, and find out coming into it what I was about. Um, like I said, I'm not always the easiest. And I think that, you know, in times I was probably hard on Liam. His parents knew that this was an opportunity for him and that, that you know, that uh, it wasn't going to be easy for him. But, uh, you know, there was work to be done, but, but he did the work. So, uh, yeah, I think the relationship definitely, definitely helped that, you know, with my background and, and, uh, and with my background and everything, I think was, uh, you know, definitely helped the relationship between us. Now, I spoke with Mark Bell a couple of weeks ago. You'll know him as the, he's the Director of Player Development at Arizona. Um, and he, he spoke of how Liam's game had improved so much in the last couple of years, but he was lacking maybe a little bit of sharpness in, in the middle of games, during games. Is that something you think he can improve on when he goes to Tucson in the NHL? Oh, he's still got improvement to go. There's no doubt about it. But I think he's he's making improvement all the time. I think Liam would have scored 40 goals the year. He had two really bad injuries. And I, when I talked to Phoenix recently, or Arizona, sorry, I say Phoenix sometimes. When, and I talked to Arizona recently. Um, I uh, I talked to them before they signed him, and they were asking me a bunch of questions. And I said, listen, I said, he had two nasty injuries. He broke his finger really badly. In that year and Liam came back way earlier than we expected him to be back and um, and I explained how important that was for Liam to get back on the ice and he didn't milk the injury at all uh, he wanted to be back he knew he, he had to have a big year to sign and uh, and the game he came back with with a with a shattered finger and he was playing in a in a splint on his finger he took a slap shot right in the face and he broke bones in his face and he was supposed to be out a long time and he was only out a couple weeks and then he was like I got to play I want to play with him he put a bubble on and so he to me he showed a lot of courage and a lot of intestinal fortitude we had to get him cleared by the doctors because you know you got to make sure but but uh he showed a lot and I explained that to Arizona that 
you know, he was desperate to get back in that lineup to, to show everybody what he could do. And I think if he didn't have those injuries and COVID didn't hit, he would have, he would have scored 40 goals that year, which would have got him signed. But Mark came up a lot and we worked, uh, Mark and I would talk to me a lot about Liam's game. And, and we talked about how he has to penetrate into certain areas a little bit more. And that's one thing that I've, you know, talked to Liam about a lot about where he needs to be and where he needs to go. And at the next level, it's even more, uh, it's even more crucial. Uh, but there's things to work on, but he has worked on them and he's getting better at them. And I still want to see him do them. And uh, I still want to see more from him. I think there's a lot of talent there. And there's some things that I think uh, Arizona will be expecting from him. And they're going to work with him on a lot of things. And I think if he gets that work, I was trying to explain, he hasn't had 15 years of development you know, like some of these other kids over here, like, you know, so he, he's got, I think his ceiling's high. Um, but a lot's going to rest on Liam's shoulders too, right? He's got to put the work in and, uh, and he's got to do a lot himself, but, uh, but I believe, I believe he will. It's, it's what an opportunity, you know, uh, what an opportunity. Now you've, you watched him in the world championships. You mentioned that earlier. Can he make it all the way to NHL given what the path he's got ahead of him? Well, he can, he can, he, he's got the skill level to be there. You know, there, there, you know, there's going to be a lot up to him. Opportunity is a big thing to you know, get in an opportunity. It's not always just the players. Sometimes there's guys that people can't believe that didn't get the shot and, and uh, they never get their, their opportunity. But, but there's uh, but majority of the guys are there for a reason. And, um, it, it's a grind and it's going to be hard work for him. And I think he knows that. I think coming out of Peterborough, he learned a lot fast. And I think, you know, not just on the ice, just off the ice. And I think he also learned quickly that, like I said earlier, it's dog eat dog. There's no, there's no playing games. This is not, this is not for fun. This is guys trying to make a career and make a lot of money out of this, but he's got, he's got potential. I would, I, I, I would love to see them give him his chance um, I think they're probably going to want to hone his skills as much as they can in the American League, uh, and try and get try and get him working on things down there with the development people down there that they'll have in place. Um, but he's he's an interesting he's an interesting and it's a great story. So it's a great feel good story for for Arizona as well, right? You know, so uh, there's a lot of positives with with Liam signing. Let's talk about you, Rob. You haven't worked over here since 2009 when you left the Newcastle Vipers. Big part of your career. You've been to Italy, Germany. Now you're you're in Canada. What do you miss most about being in the UK? Uh, you know what? I'm always talking to somebody over there. Weekly, sometimes it feels daily, but I uh, I miss Greg's a bit. I miss sneaking <laughs> into Greg's for, for uh, a bacon sandwich in the morning. But, uh, but you know... No, you know what? Um, a lot of things. A lot of things. I miss a lot of things. You know, I have lots of family over there and friends and and, um, and stuff. So, um, you know, I'm sure I'll spend a lot of time back there when, when hockey is over for me and, and stuff like that. And when I retire one day, which probably won't be for a long time, I hope. Uh, but, uh, but right now, you know, I just don't have the opportunity to get back. And then with COVID, we definitely didn't have the opportunity to get back. But when the, when the opportunities come, I'll be, I'll be going back over and, and seeing people and doing things. And uh, like I said, I'm always in talk with somebody over there, whether it's Paul Thompson, or, you know, David Sims will call me or different people that I've been friendly with uh, Seth Bennett for years. And, and uh, so people will give me a call or a text and we'll talk and, 
I still talk to a good Scott like Scotty Neal all the time. So, uh, you know, and uh, so we have we have a very good relationship. So yeah, so the the contact's still there, and uh, and um, uh, I have a lot of friends and stuff uh, that we uh, that I still connect with on a regular basis, and you know, even guys I play with like David Longstaff and, and different guys. So um, yeah, look look forward to uh, look forward to getting back when I do. And finally, the OHL, of course, like the Elite League, um, never got playing last year because of COVID, because of the the pandemic. You'll be champing at the bit, really, to get back and going again. How are preparations for you right now? How excited are you to get back into action again? Yeah, super excited. Like, super excited to get back, that's for sure. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm not going to tell you a fib. I'm uh, in Florida, so uh, um, <laughs> just kind of relaxing, being, uh, being, at the, being at the beach. Uh, and then we'll get home and we'll uh, tell her. But uh, but no, you know, just we're just kind of relaxing a little holiday. But yeah, we'll be going, and it's really exciting. It's been a, you know, not just for players. It's been a difficult time for coaches too, and you know, uh, it's hard when you're used to, you know, doing something your whole life, and then you know you get told you can't do it. Welcome back to the BIH show, part of the Sports Social Network. You heard there from Rob Wilson, the Peter Repeats coach, joining us from a restaurant in Florida, discussing Liam Kirk after his NHL entry-level contract deal. And apologies for the sound quality in parts of that interview. As I mentioned earlier, there's also a new adventure for Ben Bounds as well, after confirming he's off to Slovakia, where he'll join Dukla Trenchin after a year in Austria with Graz 99ers. His steady and assured displays in the World Championship certainly played their part, and he gets another chance to conquer Europe. We wanted to know more about the club Bounds he's going to and one player we reached out to is former Guildford Flame, Cruz Reddick, who played for them last season following the abeyance of the Elite League and discussed his retirement as well. Cruz chatted about his highlights with Guildford and what he's going to do now in the next phase of his life, but we started by asking what Ben Bounds can expect in his next home. Yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, it's a great uh, great organisation to play for through the uh, you know the ownership and uh, Branco, the general manager and the coaches all treated me well. So I think he's going to really enjoy it. Uh, it's a very professional atmosphere, uh, a good league. And I think they're going to challenge for a lot of wins next year. So I think he's uh, going to have a great year. How rewarding an experience is it to play for a, a club in that part of the world? You hear different stories. I mean, you were saying yours was a positive one. But I've heard other players that have played for Slovakian teams, not so good for whatever reason, financial, maybe they weren't getting paid and things like that. But as an experience, what, what was the big thing you took from it? Yeah, he's got nothing uh, to worry about that in regards to Trench. And uh, obviously there's can be some of those worries wherever you go. But uh, no, I think just... You know, the professional atmosphere was the best thing I took away from it. Uh, you know, they treated me well. It was a great league, uh, good spot to play. So I, it was just overall very enjoyable. And of course, last year was obviously very different circumstances. The pandemic really took hold of the world. Was this one of these ones where it was a move you had to make because the Elite League wasn't happening? I'm assuming you were going to come back to Guildford last year. Was that, was that the case? Yeah, for sure. That was the plan I'd already signed with Guilford, so that was the hope, but, but obviously it just didn't happen. So I knew I needed to play somewhere. I wasn't quite ready to, you know, go out on uh, those terms or, or not play at all. So it took a while to find a contract and finally got over there at the end of December. So that was, I was just so happy to, to get playing and 
didn't really matter where, but I was lucky enough to find a spot in, in Trenchin. So what are the fans like over there? They're quite a passionate crowd, very welcoming to, to players such as yourself, imports. Well, I think so, but unfortunately we, we couldn't play in front of fans. So, uh, you know, they weren't, uh, they weren't in the buildings for any games, but, uh, you know, the interaction over social media and whatnot, and from what I heard from the guys there is Trenchin has an incredibly uh, passionate fan base, uh, one of the best in Slovakia. So hopefully it's all back to normal and, and Bouncy can really experience that next year. And of course, you had a familiar face there in the locker room with you. Kali Akarid was over there with you as well. How much did it help you having a familiar face in, in the locker room? It helped a lot, for sure. It's it's always intimidating a bit uh, to a certain extent going uh, to a new team halfway through the year. You don't know anybody. You don't know the coaches. But yeah, to have him where I'd played with him for three years, it was pretty comforting and nice to uh, you know have somebody away from the rink too where you can just, you know, be comfortable with yourself and him and just hang out and talk about, you know, stuff other than hockey for sure. Now you've played against Bounds. Well, firstly, what is it like to, to play against? He's a goalie who's phenomenal on any given night, but as a player, he must be frustrating sometimes when you're, you're trying to put the puck past him. Yeah, for sure. He's a great goalie and he's proven that, you know, ever since I've come across him with my first year in Guilford there and, you know, on the international stage, he's done so well and just, as kind of a fan now of British hockey, it's awesome to see. And I love seeing those guys be successful. So, uh, yeah, it's frustrating to play against them, but uh, it's also fun. It's a challenge. And when I was with Guilford, there is, you know, it's probably, you look forward to the games against Cardiff the most just because of the, well, it wasn't a huge rival, but uh, I thought we always had pretty good fast games and they were always uh, intense and whatnot. So it was a lot of fun. So how well do you think you'll do over there and what kind of reputation do you think he has, again, you, you've touched on the World Championships and what he's done for the national team. Will he go in there? Will, will people kind of know what he's all about when he gets there? Oh, I think so. I think the uh, Slovakian fans are very knowledgeable. They'll do their research and realise that, uh, you know, guys coming out of the elite league and and uh, hockey in England is, is you know, on the upward trend. So, you know, they're going to look at that, look at his uh, play at the World Championships and, and expect him to do big things there. And, you know, I think they brought him in to be, uh, they got a good goaltending partner with Michael Vallant, uh, who both can really play and push each other. So I think it's going to be a, a good spot for him and uh, something that's going to be a challenge. But yeah, he's going to step in there and be one of the top goalies in the league if, uh, you know, if he performs and no doubt he should. And if Boundsy happens to, to call you up looking for some tips on how to settle in to a new country like uh, like where he's going in Slovakia, Trenčín in particular, what kind of advice would you give him about how to settle in and, and what to, to look out for? There's not much to say. I mean, he was in Austria last year, right? So he, he knows what he's doing. But yeah, just be open to, to whatever. Uh, it's great to experience a new culture. You get to play hockey for a living. Nothing better, uh, you know, unfortunately when I was there, nothing was open, you know, everything was on lockdown. So hopefully that's open and he can experience, you know, the Slovakian culture with the restaurants and all that. But uh, yeah, he'll, he'll be just fine. I don't think he needs much advice from me, but he'll do his thing. Good stuff. Let's talk about you. Of course, your time in the UK, you've mentioned it already came kind of abruptly at an end because of the pandemic, you said you'd signed for, for another season, which sadly wasn't to be. But how do you look back on your three seasons with Guildford and all you did with that team? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, I got to, was lucky enough to play professional for five years. And yeah, out of those five years, I consider myself a flame. And 
that was kind of my best, uh, best time as a pro. So, you know, right from Paul to Kirk, uh, Rob and John, they treat us first class and it's just an awesome, awesome place to play. And I couldn't speak highly or more highly of the organization and the people there. So I absolutely love my time there. Was there any trepidation when you first there? I noticed you were one of the sort of later signings um, right before the season had started, but they were a brand new team to the Elite League, although not a brand new club because they've been established for a good number of years beforehand. But was there that, that trepidation about going to a new team at that level and, and what to expect? Yeah, I guess I was a bit hesitant to uh, signing in England uh, just because, you know, it doesn't have the high reputation that other leagues did. And I guess I signed there later just because I was still hopeful uh, you know, to wait for another league, but looking back on it, it is probably the best decision I ever made. And, you know, I just couldn't be happier. They, you know, I went there for one year. My plan was to kind of have a good year and, and move on, but they sucked me in and I stayed for two more. So it was, <laughs> it was awesome. My times there was great. The organization was great. And the league is, is unbelievable. And I hope it just gets the credit it deserves. I think the one thing that struck me about Guildford was the fact that, like, say, yourself, Callie Ackery, John Dunbar, all these guys kept re-signing. It just shows you just how well looked after you were and how well treated. You know, that's got to be a good thing reputationally as well when uh, when it comes to Paul building a team again. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah, we had a good group of core, good core group there that kept signing back, and that's what made it, uh, you know, very enjoyable. But, yeah, it just goes to show how Paul treats his players and uh, you know, everybody that plays for him just wants to go back and, and play for him again. Cause he's that good, good of a coach and good of a person that he, you know, he treats you with respect and lets you be yourself on and off the ice. And yeah, that's, that's exactly why guys keep going back there. Now, apart from the, the challenge cup final and the playoff finals weekend, that was your second season, I think, presumably what was your personal highlights with the flames? Those, those two aside, I've got to say that they're going to be right up there. Of course. Yeah, those were definitely up there. That Challenge Cup final, still looking back on that. Wish we had that one. <laughs> so close, but uh, that was a big one. Uh, making it to the final four weekend was pretty good too. But yeah, just uh, just the overall experience, I think. And, you know, living living abroad for me, uh, so close to London. It's a great, uh, great spot. And yeah, definitely, hockey-wise, definitely the Challenge Cup final would probably be the, the top there, being in overtime and coming so close. It, hurt to lose but looking back on it, it was pretty cool now you've decided to retire move on to the, the next phase of your life I'm sure that's quite disappointing for the, the Flames fans to, to hear so what's in store for you now Cruz what were you going to do with your life from, from now on in? yeah it was a tough decision one that I you know you got to make eventually uh, part of me would keep playing always but uh, it's not always that easy but no I'm getting married uh, here coming up in August so I'm gonna move on uh you know, hopefully start the family life and, and uh, career wise, I've been hired by an oil field uh, chemical company. So I'm excited to start a career in that and yeah, just uh, move on, hopefully find uh, some sort of hockey to keep playing and keeping the game some way over here. But uh, yeah, as far as professionally goes, that's, that's it for me. And it's, I guess it's time to, to move on. Have you any aspirations to get into the coaching side of it? I know that I know there's been a lot of guys that have just left the game, walked away completely, and moved on to another career entirely. Some keep their hands in. Are you one of these guys that that want to to keep an involvement somewhere along the line? I think for me, it's going to be just kind of playing some senior hockey stuff like that. As far as coaching, I don't think I'll get into coaching 
uh, right away or anything. Maybe if, you know, down the road, some kids of mine, hopefully someday happen that, uh, you know, I'll definitely get involved coaching then. But as for now, no, it's going to step away and uh, just focus on the, uh, you know, my new career here. Did you not fancy one more last tilt with, with Guildford? We're assuming a season, full season is going to go ahead next year. Was it not a, a temptation at least for just one last goal? Oh, yeah, don't tempt me too hard. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. I, like I said, part of me is always going to want to, you know, keep playing and, and think I could keep playing. But, no, I got a beautiful fiancé that, uh, you know, we're excited to get married and, and start a family with. So it's time for me to move on to, uh, you know, bigger and better things hopefully absolutely and of course we're at the time of year where you'll be you've had your break you'll be getting back into shape looking ahead to the the new season is there not a little part of you missing it just yet yeah a couple of you know people have asked me that uh, I'm okay right now but I think come you know end of August early September it might hit me a little harder and uh, that's when I'll really start missing it but no I'll definitely definitely always miss it it's it's an amazing game that has given me so much over my lifetime and couldn't uh couldn't have asked for more really but you'll still be keeping an eye, an eye on the flame surely oh absolutely i hope to always you know keep tabs on them and i'll keep in touch with paul but uh yeah i'll definitely definitely always watch them and i hope they can keep their upward trend of what we had going the past three years uh you know, I, I have no doubt that Paul will bring the right guys in and, and they're going to have another good team and keep uh, catching people off guard. You're listening to the BIH Show, part of the Sports Social Network. That was Cruz Reddick. You heard chatting to us there just before the break. Now, one anniversary that may have slipped past was the 10-year mark since it was announced that five Flyers were joining the Elite League, which happened on the 24th of June 2011. The Kirkcaldy side returned to the big time to replace Newcastle Vipers, who sadly folded, and the Flyers became the fourth Scottish team in the Elite League, joining Edinburgh Capitals, Dundee Stars, and arguably their biggest rivals, Brayhead Clan, at the time. They've had their ups and downs, of course. They've reached the playoff finals weekend three times, won the Gardner Conference, and have brought in some memorable players over the last 10 years. One man who's followed them closely over the last decade and beyond is the editor of the Five Free Press, Alan Crow, and it's fair to say he's enjoyed the ride as much as anyone. And he began by giving an overall reflection of how the step-up has been embraced. It doesn't feel like 10 years, I must admit. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, you look back at the start, it was a huge step-up. Um, but I mean, Five Flyers belong in top flight, top flight ice hockey. I've always maintained that. And if the Elite League is the only place for top flight hockey, they've got to be there. It doesn't fit well with the ethos of you know, developing young players, British players, but it's the only show in town. And I think they've done, I think they've done reasonably well. Um, they went in with it with their eyes open. They, they said they would do it as long as it worked for them. Um, and 10 years on, they're still there. There's definitely potential there to, to be even bigger players in that league. They finished, what, 6th, 7th, 8th. Uh, mid-table-ish, <clears throat> which is fine, solid, you know, success comes in championship playoffs, a conference title, but the potential there, I think, you know, 10 years down the line, I suppose the next challenge is what's the next 10 years going to look like? You mentioned the fact that, you know, in terms of the elite league, it's not a league for, for bringing three young players, but that was something Fifeworth were looking to do at the beginning. As I recall, they only brought in five imports, and I think fairly yeah. fairly shortly that, that had to change because they were they were finding it quite tough as well. Yeah, I think they started out with something like 12 Brits on their side. Um, obviously, they, they jumped up from SNL, so the core of that team continued. 
if you if you do a graph of the last 10 years, that 12 becomes 10, becomes 8, becomes 7, 6. As, as, as a game, and the game's changed a lot in this last decade. I get it, it's, it's a faster game, it's built on speed. There's a lot of big players coming over as well. And there's this constant debate of, you know, play the Brits, but we can't play the Brits and leave them exposed to potential risk, if you like. There's that, that debate has never really been solved. It goes around in circles every year. Um, but yeah, the, the club's ethos has always been to develop its own talent. I think last year was on the first time that I can remember where there were no Kakuti born players in the team, <coughs> which a lot of fans is it sits uneasy and I suspect it sits uneasy with Tom Muir and Jack Wishart as well because that's the reason they got involved this would have been their 25th anniversary as club directors which again is a remarkable landmark that's kind of gone un- un- unacknowledged um, due to the pandemic and the fans as well have really embraced it they, they love you know the, the elite league games they love playing the teams <laughs> they play Brayhead slash Glasgow is obviously a fixture that, that stands out for a lot of fans as well how much is it a part of their their enjoyment that they've been part of the elite league, the fact that they're playing these big players, these big names week in, week out? Well, yeah, it's, it, it, hockey in Fife has always been based on the biggest games, the biggest players, the biggest teams coming to town. So you're back among the Sheffields and Ottenham's. The, the, the clan rivalry has been a huge thing over the last decade. <clears throat> Dundee Stars as well. It, it, it's come and gone as well. You've also got the great Sheffield. You know, nothing better than beating Sheffield in your home ice. It's just, just cause it's Sheffield. That that hasn't changed since they first swaggered into the building in the nineteen eighties as the new kids in the block and took over, took over the entire side of the ice rink, including Section G. Much to the absolute horror of people who sat in Section G, um, the, the Orange Army just walked in with a different attitude, which is great. You know, sometimes you need that that new kid in the block just shaking things up. So I think the fans have enjoyed it. They've enjoyed some good hockey. Some of them really good nights. We've been very vocal in what they want as well, which you expect. <clears throat> um, and but deep down, they want to see the team do as well as it possibly can. And as someone who's watched at the Five Flyers for a number of years, Alan, I've seen many of, of your posts harking back to the, the days in the 80s, you know, the, the success they had in the late 90s, early 2000s as well. How much have you enjoyed the, the evolution of the club in that, those last 10 years in this league as well? I've, I've, I've enjoyed the, the, the hockey. I think it, it's back to where it should be. Um, I, I mean, no bones about it. I found the SNL years pretty tough to watch. You know, you're a big fish in a very, very small pond. It was a, it was a safety net for the club, and I take my hat off to everyone that stuck with it week in, week out. I went up to Elgin to see them playing, and there was me and 30 people watching a game of hockey with no announcer, no music. And it was it's like watching, I don't know, Celtic Avengers playing Burnt Island Shipyard, you know, with the, the full... It, just, it was just it, it was the wrong fit. So going back to the Root League, I think, yeah, there's a buzz about the place. Um, it's a bigger scale. Yeah, the great nights are equally as good as the great nights of the Heineken era, the BNL era. Um, the, the challenge is to have them on a regular basis so that you know, the rink becomes the, the noisiest, most intimidating place to play hockey, but also a place that you're not frightened of going into. It's an old-style um, ice rink. It's not a brand-new arena. Uh, you, you have that fun with it, and you... You say at your stall out, this is our home. I think I think it's I think it's, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I must admit, yeah, I think there's still more to come. And I'd love to see I'd like to see more Brits playing, I'd like to see more home based players. Yeah, I'd like to see all clubs having that faith and putting the young talent into the league. I think they can do it. I don't think it diminishes the product one iota. Um, but that's a debate to be had amongst the, the ten teams, which will go on, which will go on for hours, I imagine. Now, as someone who's got your, your ears to the ground, as it were, think back 10 years when Newcastle Vipers sadly lost their place in the Elite League. Was there a real clamour in Fife for the Flyers to, to join the league at the time? Or was it something that 
it just came about, if I can put it that way. From memory, they've been talking about it. They've been thinking about it. Um, they looked previously that it wasn't right for them. So when I think the opportunity came in, like from memory, it was quite late in the season, late in the day in terms of summer. I think they're about six weeks to put a team together, which is just preposterous. When you look back on it, really, um, they had it wasn't just the team that they built; it was the off ice network, which had dwindled to a handful of volunteers, because you don't need that entire show when you're running in the SNL. So to make that big jump up, it was a remarkable, um, a remarkable achievement. Um, I remember the first night; it was the speed of the game was just astonishing. It flew past five. I don't think five. I don't, I don't know if a five player touched the puck for the first five minutes. It just was like tornadoes coming at them nonstop. Um, they beat two 0 um, and then they went down. They went down to was it coming to the next night. And they got beat nine 0 You kind of thought, okay, it's going to be a long haul. Um, but I think yeah, there's a desire to see hockey back in the big stage because had they not made that move, I'm not sure where the sport would be in five now. Because with the imports of the stars, they're the guys that bring you know, the fans, they're the ones that captivate the attention, the interest, the media interest. And they're the ones that then become the aspirational role models. <clears throat> so uh, uh, without the HL era, I don't know where hockey would be in Fife. I, fe- I fear it would, still, it would still be here because there's so many folk here involved in it and got a huge commitment for it. It would still, it would still run, um, but not to the level it's at. So yeah, I think it was, it was, good, for, it was good to bring in new fans to the ring, good to bring old fans back again. And just yeah, you know, rekindle the product because hockey's got that cycle of boom and bust. It, it, it has great peaks like Heineken era, the BNL. Then it kind of all goes a bit peak tong and it goes quite low. The seventies was a bit of a, a bomb scare era. The sixties it kind of almost died its backside. You know, hockey's never had that stable playing field. So ten years of this has probably been the most stable it's been for several generations. And of course, the man at the centre of it all is uh, is the coach himself, Todd Duty. I mean, he's been at the club for such a long, long time. And it would have been a, a big learning curve for him in those those early days in the elite league as well. How much do you think he's evolved as a coach in this last decade as well? It was in the deep end, wasn't it? I mean, he coached at the SNL level, he played at that level. It's become more of a, I suppose, when Flyers ran the BNL, they, they ran a certain model and it worked. Yeah, just a couple of imports, a bunch of Brits behind them and that ethos still carry through at the start of the elite league. I think the challenge now is managing a fully import team, which means a huge off-ice commitment. It's not just a case of turning up twice, training twice a week, playing the games at weekends. You've got this whole, it's basically 24-7. So I suppose his management role and his coaching role is, has embraced a lot more people management. He often talks about you know, how you guys fit in the dressing room you know, and how each person has to be managed differently. I guess that's been an evolving thing. I know that he learned a lot from Mark Morrison. And he still speaks to him, and he's he's, he's in touch with a lot of guys that he's, he's learned from. I think, you know, ten years on, I think he's he's done it the best he can with the budgets he's got. You know, he, they are not the top end spenders in terms of you know, your big big guns. But you know, it's he's always worked with the ethos, worked with the directors that you know it's got to be right for a five. So that's why sometimes you see players not being landed occasionally because the money wasn't there or just no, it wasn't going to be right for the team. So I think he's done pretty well. I think that the challenge he's got is taking the team to the next level, to becoming a, I don't know, a top four club. And of course, I think back to that first season as well. It just came into mind there. Halfway through that first season, Danny Stewart, who was there as a player initially after leaving Newcastle Vipers, became yeah. his, his assistant coach or associate coach or whatever his title was. Yeah. Was, is it fair to say he played an integral role in helping Todd and Fife oh, yeah. adjust to that level? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean Danny, he's a hard-nosed player. He works incredibly hard. He he drives folk. He was the team. He was one of the drivers of that team you know, on and off the ice. You know, and they formed a really good partnership. Um, and over the years, he's brought in guys that are good team leaders, and they have then become integral to the. They've been the links between the, the room and the coach's office. So, guy, yeah, Ryan Dingle straight away is one that comes to mind. You know, Russ Moyer was a big player as well. Um, so, yeah, guys, Danny Stewart, you can't underestimate his contribution to Fife. Um, he wanted to be also he got a head head coach role in Coventry. That was a big loss because you know, I think being a coach is a pretty lonely job. You know, every every knows your job and tells you what, what to do. Um, you're the guy where the buck stops you. So having that number two who you absolutely rely on and trust and you can bounce ideas off. And obviously when Danny went on, Jeff Hutchins came in and they formed, again, they forged a, a good friendship, a good partnership. Very different people who both at different parts of the game. But you need that you need that sounding board at all times as any coach at this level. You, you can't do it your own. So what are your uh, personal highlights from five to ten years in the Elite League? What games, what moments, what people, what players um, leap out to, to you? I'm kind of putting you in the spot a wee bit there, I've seen your reaction. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I'll see, yeah, weekend, the Nottingham, Nottingham finals weekends, it's always good to see a team on that on that, that platform. They've got to go to the next level there and actually you know, win the game, get through the final, but they've been there a couple of times. Big games against Clan have been fabulous, the atmosphere. You know, there's still no better place to watch ice hockey in Britain than in Fife, with the rink at full throttle. Whether that's down to the way, the way team, two guys going hammer and tongs, or the referee making a, a bit of a bad call, but something that sparks that rink into life, it's still got the finest atmosphere going. You know, and win or lose, you know, there were some great games with Nottingham and Sheffield. The, the, the Nickerson years were good fun because it was pure box office, um, and he brought an intensity that just took things to a whole new level in terms of the enforcer, which Fife had never really gone down that road before. I've seen guys, yeah, at the finest, watching guys like Charlie Mosley, uh, Chase Shaver, and you know, Casey Haynes. There's, there's, there's signs of pretty good players, you know, guys that have come across here kind of unknowns, and they've all made a mark. So I think, yeah, I'm sure going to pick out a single game in particular, but I've still enjoyed all this, like, the, the, the Scottish derbies. They've been great fun. Um, it's good to see the ring just absolutely buzzing again. And of course, 10 years on, we're coming out of a, a pandemic, hopefully slowly but surely. There hasn't been any top flight regular season hockey now for, for nearly a year and a half. Yeah. You know, can you tell us anything about how Fife are coming out of that? What, what are their plans in the, the short to, to long term future? Can you have any offer any insight on that? <laughs> I'd like to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been chatting to I've been chatting to Tori a couple of times over the summer in the last year or so. And I think I'll speak to folks the weekend up at the rink. I think the challenge right now is, although the, I know the fixtures meeting was taking place was it last earlier this week or in the last week, mm-hmm. which is great. It's another it's another step towards a return to normality. I'm not entirely convinced September is an absolute set in stone. We're going. There's so many variables just now. I mean, how do you how do you sign players right now? You know, what are you signing them to? You know, what what are the get out clauses in the event of a, a third wave or a, a local lockdown? There's a multitude of things that you know, guys like Tom, you and Jack wish I've got to look at now and think, right, we're bringing players over here. You know, can we, we've got to be paid, they've got to look after, they've got to get sent home again if there's any issues. How do we get them home? I I think he's got, he's been speaking to players, you know, back and forth. You know, he'll, I mean, Todd will have in his own head, will have a fair idea of the guys that want to come back. 
hell of a night to the guys that are going to stay back home or maybe just leave the sport because a lot of the guys have had to go and get other jobs out with hockey just to keep the money coming in. Um, in terms of signings, nothing's announced yet. I'm don't, I don't anticipate much in the next couple of weeks either, to be honest. Um, I think September feels a long way away still. Um, I, I know we're heading towards the start of July and there are one or two signings around the around the links, but there's not exactly that many. Um, and I don't know. You can announce you can announce the entire team right now, easy. But you know, getting the guys in here, what's the what are the COVID protocols going to be? I think the big the biggest issue is will we get fans back ringside, and if so, how many, and what are the rules? Because it's still not clear. It's you start to see things that also start now we in London. These are all outdoor events. Ice hockey also it's indoor. It's a cold atmosphere. Folk roaring and yelling. How does that sit with you know what? what how will there be restrictions? If there are restrictions, can the season go ahead? If there are none, brilliant. You know, so I, I don't I don't anticipate much from Flyers the next couple of weeks. In all honesty, having said that, they'll probably announce half the team next in about the next thirty minutes, <laughs> as, as is their as is their style. Um, but it, it's. It feels a little bit early yet. You know, the, there's still a lot of unknowns out there. And I think it, they've got to start planning it, and I'm sure they are behind the scenes. But I mean, knowing Tom and Jack, they're not going to they're not going to tell people publicly what they're thinking and planning until it's all signed, sealed, delivered, and then they'll let them know. It's just their way of doing things. We've been doing that for the last 25 years. That's not going to change, no matter how many folk on Twitter say let's change things. It won't happen. You know the the stewardship of the club will continue in the same vein. And there's a lot more to it than just what folk think on the social media. But I don't know. I, I'd like the season to start late September. I've, my gut feeling is maybe October, possibly even November. I don't know. It's just a little bit too early. This is the BIH show, part of the Sports Social Network. Good to have you back. Alan Crow from Fife Free Press there joined us before the break. And on Twitter, we wanted to hear from Fife Flyers fans to find out their highlights from the last 10 years. And I'm pleased to say we had quite a few come back to us, which I'll read to you now. Lorraine Scott says, Firstly, simply being back in the big league. The game I remember most was the one in Dundee where we needed a point to grab the conference. It had everything and went to the wire. Amazing atmosphere and emotions were all over the place. I remember that great night for them. Peter, a.k.a. at It's Science 69. Kyle Haynes' last-minute goal against the clan. I had a feeling that one would come up. William Cummings says, Winning the conference, knocking out the clan to reach Nottingham, being at the finals weekend three times, and the run we went on in 2014 to reach our first finals weekend. Yep, tremendous, um, tremendous achievement from the Five Flyers that season. Aaron, aka at Stins87, either beating Clan in the playoff quarters or winning the conference. Plenty of highlights there from Five fans. Thank you all for getting in touch. The Stanley Cup final starts on Monday. Montreal Canadiens and Tampa Bay Lightning are playing out the series in what should be a very exciting encounter. Could it go to four games? Could it go to seven? We just don't know. But we've scoured the country and found a couple of fans based here in the UK to talk about the final and find out more about their love of their respective teams. Joining us here on the BIH show is David Gibson, who's a Montreal Canadiens fan, and Woody Walker, a fan of the Tampa Bay Lightning. David, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, well, we'll do both of you, actually. David, firstly, where are you, where are you from? Um, I'm from Scotland, so I stay just outside Stirling. Lovely. And Woody? Um, I'm from West Yorkshire. West Yorkshire, lovely part of the world. So my first question has to be, why did you start following the teams that you are? David, you first. 
Um, to be honest, it's been a while. Like I started supporting him about 2008, and it was a kind of happy accident, if I'm being honest. Um, was me and my mate were studying for hires, and there was a hockey game on. It was Canadians against the Rangers. He's a Glasgow Rangers fan, so um, he, that's who he chose to support. And I just, you know, I, I've always preferred the Canadian teams anyway. So I just thought, right, well, I'm going to, you know, uh, put my name to the Canadians. And then just it sort of grew from there. You know, I was always sort of on off. And then about 2014, when we uh, we had the good uh, cup run putting out the Bruins. Um, I just got so into it and I was absolutely devastated when we uh, we got put out against the Rangers. And I don't know, I just felt like because I felt so disappointed, there must, there must be something worth getting properly behind. So since then I've been kind of obsessed and that's just the way it's gone. And of course, you, you said you've supported them since 2008. This is the first time they've been in the final since 1993. So this is a, a yeah. unique experience for you. I know, and a very unexpected one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it. What about you? Would you tell us about your love affair with Tampa Bay and how it all started? So when I was younger, I was fortunate enough to go on holiday to Florida. Um, and just seeing the culture of ice hockey, being such a huge ice hockey fan in Britain, it's sort of underappreciated. But seeing posters everywhere, sponsorship, it, I just sort of fell in love with it. And the team around there is Tampa Bay. So naturally, I fell in love with Tampa Bay following on from that. And have you had the chance to go to any games at the Amelie Arena yet? Is that something you've managed to do? No, I've not managed to go yet, but it's definitely something I'd love to do in the future. What about you, David? Have you ever managed to visit the Bell Centre in Montreal and see it firsthand? Not yet, but it's absolutely number one priority. Happy to get there. (laughs) Now, Woody, back to you. It takes a special team to win a competition like this twice in a row. Of course, they won it last year against the Dallas Stars. What are the Bolt strengths and which player or players do you think can shine in this series? Well, we've got a number of leaders' experience and we've got some flair about us. So we've got Braden Point, Stephen Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, three players that could walk into any team and become a franchise player. Then on the back end, we've got some flair with Victor Hedman. So it's I think them four players are our key players and definitely our best players. And this is where winning the cup stems from. And David, Montreal's first final since 93, as I already said, 28 years ago. Do you think they'll enjoy the role of underdogs coming into this? And, and who are their key men, key men do you think? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think they've they've loved being the underdogs throughout the whole playoffs. Um, you know, we were not given a chance uh, at all by anybody. Uh, you know, even, even just getting past Toronto was our cup final. So to get to get to this point um I, I think there's just this belief that that they can go all the way just there's just this momentum this feeling um that we can do it and you know it's all across the ice guys are pitching in yeah I mean, we don't have the players that that Tampa Bay have we don't have a Kucherov um we don't have a Stamkos but we we do have guys like Kerry Price who are are so important to to how our how our team has has been in these playoffs uh, Tyler Toffoli pitching in with the goals. Uh, Cole Caulfield, Cole Caulfield. I can't believe how good this guy is, uh, and he's just uh, incredible. And he's he's not even a rookie yet. He's not even a rookie yet, and this is this is the season. Uh, so I don't know. It just there's just that this feeling. Uh, there's just this feeling, and uh, yeah, I'm enjoying writing it for as long as possible. And as uh, both of you get any nerves, Woody, I assume you would have watched the, the finals last year against Dallas. Are there nerves coming into a game like this? You know, as we speak, we're still. Um, we're still a good few hours away from the, the very first game. Can you get nervous? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I already am. What about you, David? I, I'm terrified because, because 
I mean, it's, there's no pressure on us. There's no real expectation uh, for us to, to even have been in, in the playoffs. But now that we're here and now that we're so close, um, you know, it'd be incredible. And to, to beat, you know, Tampa, the reigning champions, um, it would just be amazing. So, you know, you, when you get so close to something, for it to be taken away, it would be, uh, it would be an awful uh, feeling. But, yeah, like I say, there's no, there's no real, really there shouldn't be any pressure on us. It should be Tampa's to lose. Now, I'm one of these people, as much as I would love to watch NHL wall-to-wall, I can't, because firstly, it's on at a ridiculous time at night. You know, like many other people, I work in the morning, I don't get a chance to record it or watch it back, so I certainly don't watch as much as I would like to. What about you guys? How's it affected your sleeping pattern, your working pattern over the, the last few weeks? Have you caught every game? How have you managed to, to fit it all in? David, I'll go with you first. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I usually um, try and record the games uh, and watch the next day or else to just catch the highlights. I'm a, I'm a teacher, so what I, um, you know, when I was off for a couple of weeks over Easter, I managed to stay up and watch uh, every game that was on, but it wasn't a very good run for us <laughs> in the regular season. Um, but, yeah, it, t- it took a bit of commitment, but my sleeping pattern was pretty sharp after that for a while. Uh, worth it, though, because you don't get to, you don't get to watch many games. Really, what were you? Um, so normally when I've got school and things like that, I just have to record it and watch it the next day. But through the half-term holidays, I've turned into a nocturnal creature up every night until three in the morning watching it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's going to be like that for the next couple of weeks then, wouldn't you? I mean, one thing I tried doing many years ago was uh, I went to my, my day job, I finished, I had my dinner, then went to bed. And then I was up at midnight or whatever time the game was on, watched the game went straight to work after it and then it became a little bit weird. So how, how's your sleeping patterns going to be the, the next couple of weeks? To be honest, I, I, I'm not too, I'm not too bothered because uh, the school holidays have started up here in Scotland. So I, and I, I was fully expecting to watch two other teams uh, in the final. So I can't, I can't believe my luck that <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm off and, and we're there. So I'm going to be watching all the games. And Rudy, you mentioned you're still at school as well. This is going to play havoc with you the next couple of weeks, is it not? Yeah, I'm probably going to have to record. I might have to stay up if it gets sort of past game four into five, six, seven. But the first few games, I'm going to have to just sit tight and wait till the morning. Stuff. Now, I've actually devised a little quiz, just as a way of trying to find out who's going to win the Stanley Cup, because, yeah, that's going to have a bearing. But before I do, I want to ask you about your, your British teams, because we are British ice hockey. I know you guys follow um, certain teams. David, I've been scouring your social media. I know you're a, you're a clan fan. Um, what, what have you made of what's happened with Glasgow and, and how the future looks for them? Um, yeah, I mean, as uh, things were pretty uh, sketchy over the summer, you know, when uh, with the arena being um, taken over, so that was uh, pretty scary for a while. But I, I think um, things are starting to look a bit better, uh, a bit better there. And um, it would have been awful, just awful, if Glasgow had lost uh, lost the clan. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy that uh, it looks to be um, that will they'll stick around. Um, Hasn't been the best couple of seasons, so I th- I think things should uh, hopefully start to stabilise and, and things will, will will look better for the future. Um, we just need to wait and see. What well, about you, Woody? Sheffield are well underway with their recruitment process. They played in the Elite Series as well. How does Aaron, Fa- Aaron Fox follow that on from uh, what was a, generally a good series, apart from obviously the final? Yeah, you just need to keep on building. We've obviously got a lot of attacking players. I think we averaged about five goals a game last year. Um, so looking for some stability in defence um, and our penalty kill needs to improve. We give away too many goals on the power play. So I'm sure he's looking to recruit according to that. And he's got contacts in Russia. He was general manager in the KHL slash EBEL team for 
six, seven seasons. So I'm confident he can pull that off. Good stuff. Right, let's get to the quiz then. A little bit of fun. I thought I'd do something a bit different here. Um, my plan was to have a coin and, and toss for heads or tails, but I don't have a coin around me. That's bad planning on my part. So tell you what, seeing as uh, Tampa Bay are the champions, Woody, you can go first. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Good man. So just a penalty shot style. One question each, one at a time, and then we'll see who comes out the winner. So here we go, Woody. Let's test your knowledge. First question. In what year was Bolt's captain Stephen Stamkos drafted first overall to the NHL? Is it A, 2008, B, 2009, or C, 2010? Oh, I'm going to go with 2008. Oh, 2008. Oh, yeah, and you were right to go with that. That's one up for you, Woody. Well done. One for you. Okay, David. Oh, look, you're sitting nervous already. You can't see it because it's on Zoom, but it's great to see your reaction. To <laughs> okay, David, your first question. Habs captain Shea Weber was drafted 49th overall in the 2004 draft, but which team picked him up? Was it A, Montreal Canadiens, B, Nashville Predators, or C, San Jose Sharks? Uh, was it Nashville? It was Nashville. Well done. 1-1. One, one. There we go. Second round of questions. Back to you, Woody. With 27 points in postseason, made up of five goals and 22 assists, who is Tampa Bay's leading point leading point scorer in this phase of the season? A. Braden Point, B. Stephen Stamkos, or C. Nikita Kucherov. Nikita Kucherov. There we go. He didn't even have to think about it. Two one. Right, David, your turn. With 14 points, made up of five and nine from 17 games in the playoffs, who's the Canadians' top point scorer in the postseason? Before the first game with the Bolts, of course. A, Cole Caulfield, B, Nick Suzuki, or C, Tyler Toffoli? It's Tyler. Tyler Toffoli. You guys know your stuff. There we go. 2-2. Two, two. Right, back to you, Woody. Question three. How many European-born players are in the Bolts roster? A, 10, B, 11, or C, 12? It's quite, I'm going to go with the highest 12. We've got quite a few. It's not. It's 10, I'm afraid. They've only got 10. Oh. Made up of three Swedes, one Finn, three Russians, two from the Czech Republic, and one born in Slovakia. So back to you, David. I've incorrectly marked that. Back to you. Number three, same question. How many European-born players are in the Habs roster? A, eight, B, 10, or C, 12? Oh, that's tricky, but I'm not sure. I'm going to go eight. Say eight. Good answer. A, eight is correct. Three... Th Three Finnish players, one born in Sweden, one from Russia, one in Slovakia, one from the Czech Republic, and one who was born in France, whose name escapes me because I didn't write it down. There we go. <laughs> On to question four, Woody. You're trying to stay in this here. Tampa Bay won 36 of their 56 regular season games. How many of those were won inside 60 minutes? There's no A, B, or C on this one. See, I'm making it harder. Oh. How many of the regular season games out of the 36 were won in regulation time? 27. Oh, he's not far. 29 it was. Oh. 29. And here we go, David. This one will win it for you if you get it right. Montreal won 24 of their 56 regular season games. How many of those were won in 60 minutes? Oh, that's a tough, tough one because a lot of them went all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say 20 I'll go for 20 oh man you're good you're good 20 out of 24 well done David you're the winner of our quiz and by that logic the Canadians are going to win the Stanley Cup maybe not well, of course of course <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that was a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for that. Just before we, we finish up, obviously the game starts on Monday, the first game rather. Um, we don't know what kind of series we're going to get. Hopefully an entertaining one, if nothing else. So let's get your predictions. Woody, start with you. How's it going to go? Tamper in six. Oh, there we go. David? Uh, I'm going to say something similar. I'm going to say Habs in six or seven. I think if, if we can have a similar sort of uh, series like we had against Vegas, I think we'll, we'll take it. Uh, so, yeah, six. Habs in six. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Been a lot of fun talking to you today. May the best team win. Thanks thank very you. much. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the BIHO, which is part of the Sports Social Network, the UK's first dedicated sport podcast network, and find the next show you'll love or join the team at www.sport-social.co.uk. Before the break, Montreal Canadiens fan David Gibson and Woody Walker, a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, joined us to look ahead to the Stanley Cup final. Best of luck to both teams and hopefully it won't be too nervous for our two fans. Before we go, we want to tell you about some new sponsorship opportunities with British Ice Hockey and we'd love to hear from you if you'd be interested in coming on board with us. For further information, drop us an email to news at britishicehockey.co.uk and among other things, you could hear your company's name on the BIH show. We'd certainly love to have you on board. As always, news and articles can be found on britishicehockey.co.uk. Don't forget to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at Brit Ice Hockey, or even follow me at BIH Craig. We're also on Instagram too, on at British Ice Hockey. My thanks this week go to David and Woody, our two NHL fans, Alan Crow, Rob Wilson, and Cruz Reddick. Join us in a couple of weeks for another new episode, and I'll talk to you then. Take care of yourself, I'll be back soon. Bye for now. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.